So the last couple of weeks we've talked about worship. I'm going to kind of end it today, but it's kind of today's sermon probably could have been two weeks ago when we talk about revival, worship and revival. And I think last week we even sang the hymn, Revive Us Again. And so that's kind of where we're going to talk about is the secret of revival. What is worship and revival all about? And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, just uh, keep them open. Uh, we're going to have lots of different scriptures today. And uh, that passage that we read for our memory verse, Chronicles, how many have heard that one before? That's a very familiar passage that we use a lot of times on National Day of Prayer. But we're just going to kind of go through that verse today. So let's have a word of prayer as we begin the message today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be in your house today. And Lord, I just pray that right now our, our hearts are uh, focused on you. We just pray that your word speaks to us. And Lord, you know uh, what each one of our needs are. You know the answers to prayer. You know all that is going on in each one of our lives. And Lord, right now we just give you this time, give you our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the centuries, God has sent great periods of spiritual awakenings. History records several great awakenings even here in the United States. The last awakening on a really large scale took, back, took place back in 1904 and 1905. How many remember that? Not even Myron. How about that? So, uh, Anyway, in this one revival, it began in Wales when a man by the name of Evan Roberts, he began to pray, and he began to pray, God bend me. And revival came, and the country of Wales was affected deeply. They said some of the things that went on, that these coal miners, they would get saved. And the problem was, there were stoppages of work then, because the mules weren't used to the new language that they were using. They said policemen and different ones formed quartets to sing in the church choir. They said bars and taverns went out of business. And churches grew by leaps and bounds. Soon that revival came to America. And it spread from church to church. And there was a church in Kentucky that baptized over a thousand people in a month's time. They said that the pastor died from overwork. <laughs> Atlantic City had a population of around 50,000 at the time. And when this revival was over, they say that there were only 50 people who were not considered Christian in the town. So since that awakening in 1904 and 1905, there's been a, a, other awakenings on a smaller scale. And there's been one in China that really prepared the people for the onslaught of communism. Asbury College here in the United States and seminary experienced a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 1960s. And that revival led to, to through many of the colleges and churches in the United States. So here we are in the 21st century. And I think we stand in a desperate need for another outpouring of God. Because it seems like there's a lot of division going on, even within denominations. It seems like there's a lot of coldness and apathy of the day. 
It seems like a lot of Christian people and pastors are very discouraged. And you almost feel like giving up sometimes. We see that there's new religions that are moving in from the East. Eastern mysticisms and Hinduism. And I think today the church needs to stand strong and be renewed. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit here. If I can get this mic out of the way. Because I wouldn't want to preach the same page over and over. We'd be here forever. And you'd say, now we're due for awakening. <laughs> but anyway, while we must recognize the power of God in sending spiritual awakenings, I believe that this passage out of Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 7.14, offers us tremendous hope for a great awakening in these days. And we see that this verse in Second Chronicles uh, was written during a joyous time of dedication of the new temple, the temple that God spoke to King Solomon through. And if you were to read that whole context of that chapter, verses 17 through 22, God gives uh, Solomon some words of warning of what would happen if the people would turn away. However, in verse 14, which is the one that we recited, we discover God's wonderful provision for revival. So I want us to consider three secrets of spiritual awakening and revival today. And the first one is spiritual awakening must begin with God's people, with us. He says, if your people, if my people who are called by my name, the promise is given to God's people. It's not given to the government or Wall Street or to education or to Hollywood or, or whatever, but it's given to the followers of Christ. It begins in the lives of people who are related to God personally. We have a personal relationship. Now in the Old Testament, revival always came when God's people turned from their sin and they began to seek God with all of their heart. And that revival would always affect the society. But it always began with God's people. In the New Testament, the promise of the Spirit was given to God's people. But the Spirit was not given to the world, it was given to believers. If you look at John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So like I mentioned before, revival is not going to begin in Washington. It's not going to begin in, in Moscow or whatever part of the world you want. It's going to begin when God's people earnestly begin to seek God's face. Now if you go through the Old Testament and you see all the ups and downs that took place spiritually. It seemed like there was a great, de great period of prosperity, and then it would be followed by a decline, an apathy, and then ungodliness would set in. There would be a lot of turmoil. God would withhold His blessings. And it seemed like when things were just beyond hope, there would be a prophet who would be 
risen up to preach the gospel. And the people would take heed to what the message was, and they would begin to seek the Lord. They would repent. God would pour out His Spirit once more, and revival would come to the people. And I believe that in some ways, that's what we're needing today. And throughout the Old Testament, we'd see many, many cycles of where there the people would be doing great with God, the relationship, and then things would get kind of slow. And then there'd be a sin, and they'd get down. They'd be really in slavery or bondage. And it wasn't until they repented that God would bring them out. And then there was a great renewal. And so spiritual awakening must begin with us. The second thing we see, and if you're thinking about points, I have three points, and it's a short sermon today. Because I was thinking Myron would talk longer. So you can thank Myron for the short sermon. The second thing is spiritual awakening must follow God's plan. God is sovereign in bringing about revival to His people. No two revivals happen in exactly the same way. Although I think there's a common thread that seems to accompany these awakenings. One of those threads is a sense of desperation that results in a time of heartfelt prayer. And as far as I know, prayer has accompanied every revival in history. Revival praying may begin with just a few people. Sometimes you see that one or two people get together and feel the need to just begin praying for their society, praying for community. And then it spreads. It spreads as others join in. And sometimes this praying takes years. But always in revival, there is prayer. So what kind of praying brings about awakening? brings about a spiritual awakening? This is where I have my sub-points. First of all, you've got to have some humility in prayer. Because notice... In our Scripture, we're not told to pray to be humble. We're supposed to humble ourselves and pray. Humility in prayer recognizes the emptiness of our lives. That we have a need here. We need God. There's a need for the restoration of our first love. And if only we could realize how much we need the Lord in our day. A second thing is there must be an earnestness in prayer. Seek my face. That's what the Scripture says. So revival praying is not so much praying for God to do something. It's not praying for God to give us something. Rather, it's really seeking the Lord Himself. The prophet Hosea said it is time to seek the Lord. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. And then Jeremiah 29 says, And you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. We go to the New Testament. Jesus said, Seek and you will find. But in our text it says, my people who are calling my name will seek my face. You see, it's not God's blessings that we're seeking. 
It's not His gifts. We're seeking the Lord Himself. A.B. Simpson, from years gone by, he wrote this poem, and I do this for our traditional people like poetry, but he says, once it was the blessing, now it's the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it's His Word. Once His gift I wanted, now the giver owned. Once I sought for healing, now Himself alone. And I think that says it so well. We also see that there's got to be a repentance in our praying. He says in our Scripture, turn from their wicked ways. Now though the word repentance is not used, it's certainly described in this verse. Now what is repentance? Repentance is not just feeling sorry for our sin, though I think it begins with a godly sorrow. Repentance is more than that. It's more than feeling sorry. It's turning from our sin. And in doing about face, it's making a U-turn. How many of you have ever made a U-turn in your car? Illegally. Oh, thoughts, there we go. We all make U-turns. But what happens is we're traveling in the wrong direction in life sometimes, and so we need to do an about face. We turn from our sin, and we turn towards the Lord. So true revival, when we're praying for true revival in our lives, it can be very painful. Because as we're praying, we are probably going to be convicted of our sins. And we're going to have to confess our sins to God. It's a very painful thing, but it's a necessary thing. Which brings about the third thing about spiritual awakening, is it's all based upon God's promises. God is saying that if His people will follow His plan. He promises to send revival. So this verse in Chronicles contains three precious promises for those who seek the Lord with all of their heart. God says, first of all, I will hear from heaven. Have you ever prayed and you wondered, is God really hearing what I'm saying? Seems like God's deaf or something. Or sometimes we ask ourselves, how long has it been since I've really heard from the Lord? And I guess the question comes up, are we really seeking the Lord or are we just seeking for His blessing and His gifts? When we really seek God, He says, I will hear from heaven. 1 John 5 Verses 14 and 15 kind of amplifies this whole promise. He says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. We will hear from God if we are earnestly seeking Him. The second thing is, He says, I will forgive their sin. In today's society... Sin's taken too lightly. Sin is very serious business. Sin separates us from God. As believers, it destroys our fellowship with Him. But the good news is, is that God has provided a way for each one of us to be forgiven. In 1 John 1.9, He says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in the New Testament, to forgive means to send forth or to send away. Now, think about that. To send forth or to send away. But it also means to cancel a debt. That includes the remission of punishment due to our sinful conduct. We are delivered from the penalty because God has paid it for us. It includes complete removal of the offense. And it's all based upon the sacrifice of Christ. So as Christians, we ought to rejoice. How exciting it is that our sins have been forgiven. And then the last part of this verse, he says, I will heal their land. Revival may be a painful experience at first because of all the confession and the repentance and the brokenness. But the end result of revival is changed lives and a revived church. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in awakening brings healing to the whole body of Christ. That's what happens first of all. And then after that, healing comes to the land. We've talked about worship the last couple of weeks and I hope that we've maybe learned a little bit about what it means to come and worship, but we're worshiping 24-7 in our own lives. But revival brings the blessing of God upon His people. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, O that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And so throughout history, God has from time to time sent revival to His people. I'm praying that that will happen again today. That revival will come to our land. And we'll see some remarkable things that God is doing. And it all starts with changed lives that God is working in each one of ours. It says, Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? That's out of Psalm 85. But I trust that you can put forth that Scripture in Chronicles, Chronicles 7.14. Put it into your own life. And I guess my challenge is for you today is to pray that verse. At least this week. But I think we're probably all in agreement that there's probably some changes that need to take place in society. But I want those changes to be what God wants. And I want God to be in control of those changes. So I'm going to invite you to pray that every week. But I think in our own lives, let's pray that we can be cleansed. Let's pray that we are people of God and that we are willing to do whatever God would want us to do. And whatever that might be, which is kind of scary if you think about it. But are you willing to give God your life with everything that you got? That's really what the question is. And I pray that we have a spiritual awakening in our whole community. And that things will never be what they once were. God's creating something better. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today.
And I just pray that each one of us, even where we're sitting right now, that Lord, You just do a work in each one of us. And I just pray as we draw near to You, that we can just be more and more obedient to what You have for us. And Lord, we lift up our whole community to You. We lift up our whole country to You. And Lord, we lift up the whole world to You. That we can just be the people You've called us to be. And to be excited and stand up for what is true. And Lord, again, we just thank You for Your Word today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.